0: Everything we saw with the chips and the shortage was a wake up call. People were looking at that on our energy. We know how important our energy is. We saw everything that happened in Europe with gas prices flying, ultimately articulating into PPA pricing. This is not the manufacturing back in you know 1908, it's just a different type of environment. The manufacturing in the US, the future is going to have this automation and it's going to have different types of skills, sets of
1: individuals kind of operating these plants. Hello and welcome to the Solar Maverick podcast where solar meets entrepreneurship and experience. I'm your host, Benoit thanjan so let's get into it. Hi, this is Benoit. You know me as the host of the Solar Maverick podcast the CEO of Renew Energy. I'm excited to have a new sort of thing, what we're calling The League, or Welcome to The League, with my co-host, David Magid from YSG Solar. You've heard him a couple of times on the Solar Maverick podcast. Him and I have known each other for a very long time. I'm really excited to partner with David on The League. David, it would be great if you could introduce yourself and talk about what we're doing with The League. Great, welcome to The League. You guys are really going to enjoy you know, this environment here.
0: And thank you to my co-host, light Engine, as well. You know, this is going to be a very exciting you know, momentum that we're going to be building here. Everyone's going to have access to news briefings, seeing exactly what is going on in the market you know, each week, dealing in the renewable energy project finance sector. So lots of great intel. We're going to tell you all the stuff that, frankly, people in our industry and experts like us don't like to talk about because they don't want to give away their secrets. But for us, we're here to put everything on the table. Let's kind of get all this information and get some projects built.
1: For sure. And I mean, that's a great segue into what we're talking about. You know, both David and I have a growth mindset and we believe any way we could help the renewable energy community will help all of us at the end. The industry is obviously growing exponentially and we need a lot of smart people to develop projects. David, I think it would be helpful for our listeners who haven't listened to the prior podcast that you've been to talk about YSG Solar and your experience and your passion. And it's amazing to, obviously I know the story, but it's always great for me to hear it and our audience. So that would be like a great intro.
0: So YSG, I'm the founder managing partner of our firm and we're a development group, have extensive background in energy efficiency, Other renewables, such as geothermal, wind technologies, battery energy storage, battery energy storage back in 2010, though not battery energy storage 2023. So we've been doing this for a while, and so these days are really active within the community solar space utility storage and really working on getting these virtual power plants deployed. So really exciting as we're going through here. We're really thrilled to be able to kind of go through and share some updates on going on the
1: market here. Yeah, definitely. David is an OG of solar at a (laughs) time. You know what's amazing I think too would be interesting was that you started your first solar company, was it when you were twenty or twenty one? So started the
0: organization, did not know anything about solar. This is two thousand Then seven, you know, when I was getting into solar energy and literally just did not know anything about the technology, you know, what to do. I think the first thing I did at that point was go to a print shop and print out a bunch of flyers and went door-to-door and then figured out
1: that if I went door-to-door for, I think, 10 hours, I could get three people that are interested in solar. That's amazing. I mean, to think about that and honestly, to have confidence at that young of an age in a new industry, I know you worked when you are in school at a solar residential company and then took that knowledge and basically start your own company, which is an amazing story to hear. And I think it's very uplifting for like young people listening to this that you could start at any age. I think you dropped out of college as well to start your company.
0: Yeah, exactly. And again, kind of looking at just like you were mentioning back in those days, Prior to even YSG and prior to even going to schools during that venture that I was mentioning of kind of that door to door aspect of it. I didn't even know what solar was. I was literally just trying to get my feet in the door and figured the best way was just to kind of try to sell these projects and learn as I was going through. 2007 was definitely a different environment, you know, for renewable energy and not too many trainings, you know, available and not too many people wanted to give job opportunities. So, very thankful, kind of jump into it and was able to grasp a lot of great info.
1: Yeah, that's great to hear. And then David and I have known each other for a very long time, I think. Since we both started our own companies, I'm trying to think what year we met actually in Brooklyn. I think maybe 2011 or 12, something oh, around yeah. there. I yeah, I think we were both talking about how we both started our companies. Yeah. Since 2012 at Urban Future Lab in Brooklyn. And so I can't it's been 11 years, that we've known each other and worked on stuff together.
0: I know now I feel like a decade is nothing. I feel like I need a decade, you know, at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and it's crazy the next
1: decade is going to go faster.
0: I can't wait. And we have so many exciting components you know, with us, even with this recent inflation reduction act and a lot of investment being built in the industry. So, you know, really excited to kind of get into that and be able to see how everything evolves. You know, the next 10 years can be a completely different environment.
1: And we probably can't imagine how much change in 10 years is going to happen and a lot more rapidly the deployment is going to happen than we could imagine, especially as you mentioned with the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, which was passed last year in August. And now we're getting starting to get guidance from the Inflation Reduction Act. I've actually been in conversations with the Department of Energy on certain parts of the Inflation Reduction Act, and it's going to create certainty in the renewable energy industry, which we haven't really had, especially when you talk about like the investment tax credit and then some of these adders and then also standalone energy storage, which David is probably the preeminent expert. I'm in. trying, yeah. <laughs>
0: we've been jumping in standalone energy storage before IRA was even a word. And you know, just because we saw value, like you do too as well, we've all seen value and energy storage. We've been thinking about it for such a long time within the market here. And now you look at States, Texas, and the ERCOT market where there's gigawatts of standalone energy storage just like sitting in that queue and people are having a field day within that market with all these arbitrage opportunities. Just the fact that ERCOT doesn't have this capacity to go market and it really simplifies you know, the other process for operators. So it's really exciting to kind of see that getting deployed and seeing other markets to follow. California,
1: New York, and even throughout New England Oh, yeah. And for sure, like storage is a huge part of the energy transition, especially with the aging infrastructure in the US to be strategic. With having standalone storage or solar plus storage or some sort of energy plus storage. And, you know, as David, you know, like New York City, for example, with the value of distributed energy resources has tried to figure out, like, where are the areas that we really need distributed energy, but then also storage with DRV, with the LSRV. That's basically locational system relief value, demand reduction value are basically utility terms to basically incentivize or quantify the value of distributed energy. Do you want to talk a little bit about New York though? Yeah,
0: I think that's a great segue kind of just jumping into it. And I think like a few items that we've noticed just to give everyone some context here, which you may already know from like the recording and all the details that we have. You could be listening to this in August of 2033. I don't know. <laughs> We're going to give you some insights of what's going on in the market right now. And I thought some interesting facts that you know have been occurring as we've been looking at the amazing, all the heat that's occurring, these triple digits has occurred, pushing the ERCOT market to so the fact that last week, 30, 40% of the electricity was coming from renewable energy, which is amazing to see for folks like us. And then you look at the other half of that in the same market and actually about 20% even greater is actually being curtailed. They're actually having to literally shut down some of these renewable energy plants. And we ask ourselves why. And actually, that's becoming from a lot of congestion on these wires, actually moving these electrons to where they're supposed to go. So that's what we're seeing in the marketplace. So we see the benefit of all these renewables. But now we're also understanding how crucial and important these transmission lines are actually delivering all this renewable power to make this transition Is what we're getting into. Benoit, you were actually, we were talking a little before about some of maybe
1: the needs. Maybe you want to talk about that You in know, the future, especially with uh, electrification and some of your thoughts in years to come, right? Specifically about ERCOT, I think what we're seeing is climate change is for real. I think we're seeing like all over the US, the same sort of issue. It's been extremely hot. I think July was the hottest month in a very, long time in the United States Obviously, people are using electricity, specifically like air conditioning units, and it's caused a lot of renewables to come online. That's why solar is a great form of energy. It's basically free energy that you're getting from the sun. And usually the peak times of solar generation is the peak time of usage. So that's why it's usually at on peak times. Texas obviously had the issue where their grid basically fell apart that one winter. Governor Abbott blamed it on solar and wind. But actually, when they did the research, it showed that solar and wind made the situation less. It was because of other issues with not getting natural gas back online quick enough. Also, Texas, I don't know if you know this, is basically not connected to any other states to get electricity. So that was the other thing. Also, but another point you mentioned was the transmission and distribution lines. You know, we have an aging infrastructure that hasn't really been upgraded in a very long time or being put as a priority. So that curtailment becomes a big issue, right? Because you don't want to blow up the transmission line by having too much electricity come online. So I think it's really interesting. I know David was mentioning the whole point. I was talking earlier to him about how Elon Musk joined virtually an event that PG&E, which is the California utility had about coming up with innovations. And he was saying that by 2025, we're not going to have enough electricity demand or electricity needed because of all the electrification to the grid that's happening, like EVs, electric stoves. And that's
0: so serious, Benoit. It's like such a crazy issue, right? I mean, even think about like locally where we are on the East Coast, New York City, all these policies enabling electrification, you have these stoves, EVs, and heating in New York City, and like you said, aging infrastructure, design, built hundred years ago, is it designed for this type of electrification? So I think, uh, that's your point, this is a serious item that we need to really get ahead of. Because I mean, how long do these projects usually take for planning? <laughs>
1: like so long. Actually, right? crazy, right? It's crazy. We have to figure out ways to do that faster. Elon was talking about two thousand twenty-five is not that far away, and obviously, he was talking about putting as much solar or sun, we have to do it faster. We have to deploy it faster than we think. I think that's pretty interesting. The other thing too, as well, we're having issues with cybersecurity, with people trying to hack into our transmission and distribution lines. And that's a big national security threat that the US government is working on. So obviously, we're able to upgrade and make these things smarter and have the latest sort of software and infrastructure that will help. I think it's pretty crazy.
0: You remember that blackout in like 2000, was it 2003? When like yeah. literally the cell phones didn't work and nothing was nothing just, worked. like, it was just done. <laughs> it like, pretty much it was done. An Armageddon type
1: of day, right? You remember that one night, a Saturday night during the summer in New York City, it lost power. I think J-Lo was performing at the Madison Square Garden. That shouldn't be happening in 2023. So we have an office in San Diego, and there's sometimes in downtown San Diego, the power goes out for a few hours. And I'm like, how does this happen? But the issue is there has to be an upgrade of the infrastructure. It has to happen quickly. We have to be creative and innovative as an industry to figure out how to deal with these broad 2003, I was actually working for Deloitte and Douche at the World Financial Center. And I remember we had to go outside for like four or five hours. Everyone's just sweating because it was a hot August day in New York. And this shouldn't be an issue for superpower. You know what I mean? No,
0: definitely not. Especially with the type of moves that we're looking to make. I think this is really crucial and how long these projects take. And obviously, you know, it also creates a huge opportunity for people, both business folks, in all different sectors. I mean, this is a huge opportunity to solve with technology. We're all seeing the advancements of these large language models, all these components come to play. How can we start connecting these dots? You know, how can we start making things move a little more effectively? And listen, you know, we're not going to change a hundred year market electricity system within a couple of months. We know this is the most complex engineering system built by mankind. That's a fact. So, this is a hard problem, and that's why folks like us and the other folks listening that's where we come in to kind of use that human capital and our knowledge to kind of really strategically uh, you know, get this done effectively.
1: For sure. And I think a huge part of the Inflation Reduction Act is upgrading the infrastructure of the U.S., it's a huge competitive advantage to have the most advanced infrastructure. The same thing with roads. U.S. has some of the best infrastructure with roadways that was actually passed during President Franklin D. Roosevelt with the Green after the Great Depression to basically stimulate the economy. The New Deal actually was the term of the legislation, but that's created a huge competitive advantage because with trucking and rail and airports, you could transfer stuff around the country pretty quickly. And we see that today. So I'm really excited that the administration sees the importance of not just Renewables and storage, but also upgrading the existing infrastructure where it's needed.
0: Even kind of looking at the past, some of these initiatives, right now we're talking about renewable energy, we're talking about electricity markets. Those are the components that we're focusing on. But when you look at different countries, when you look at different markets, what are the effects? of a more efficient, reliable electricity market that has lower cost of energy. And when you have a lower cost of energy, you're able to increase areas of manufacturing. You look at items like data centers, you look at items all the computing power with quantum computing in the future, things along these lines, allowing us to make such crazy changes within cities, and urban planning, the way that this is going to be implemented. So it's just absolutely fascinating. A lot of us, obviously, are very focused on the industry and what we're doing, which is what we need to be. But I think we also need to take a step back and kind of look everything that we're going to be doing. All these actions are going to have a really amazing reaction that I don't think any of us can even think about fully of this. New electrical grid of the future that has this redundancy, this reliability and cost competitiveness that
1: literally can be a component that the world is following. Obviously you mentioned this. This is a great point. This is going to be a competitive advantage for the US. I think there's just so much we could go into it. I think we all get bogged down into like the daily activities, but this energy transition is going to be happening through the world with this electrification over the next 50 to 70 years. And whoever is the leader in this, is going to have a competitive, meaning nations are going to have a competitive advantage when it comes to so many different things, not just economic. That's kind of why China has invested billions of dollars in EV and energy storage and battery companies, because they know it's the wave of the future. The US, obviously, we have private enterprise and just creativity to be able to have really smart people come up with some amazing ideas. But we have to remember too, like Tesla was actually funded by a loan from the DOE, from President Obama's administration. And look at how much innovation what Elon's done has created. Like, there wouldn't be, I still think, like electric vehicles really. Not at all.
0: I never thought those were going to occur. I remember 2008 going to a conference <laughs> yeah. in like Jacob Javitsen's there, kind of advanced auto, you know, the future. And the hydrogen guy literally sold me on like that. And I was like, and I did not think electric vehicles.
1: And now it's like, there's no stop. Not even if you wanted to stop it's past that point. By the way, Tesla paid off the loan that they got from the government and everyone talks about how Cylindra collapsed, but really a true success story from that program was Tesla. And now Tesla is really leading the automotive industry and forcing your big auto manufacturers to basically adjust to the new reality and it's electric vehicles. As a leading authority in the solar industry, life gets very busy. In addition to traveling the world as a speaker and for my entrepreneurial ventures, I'm a son, friend, investor, and entrepreneur. And when it comes to delivering a great-sounding show for my listeners, I choose Podcast Laundry. All I have to do is record and send and the rest is done. They do the dirty work of podcasting for me. Yes, social media graphics, quotes, show notes, master editing and much more. All I have to do is record. So if you're a busy podcaster like me with an engaged audience and want to free up your time to do more of what you love, like going to the gym or spending time with loved ones, go to podcastlaundry.com to schedule your consultation or call 347-871-8273. That's podcastlaundry.com or 347-871-8273. And also people don't understand what to play with infrastructure. Tesla's controlling the charging stations with their products. And now we saw Ford basically agree to use Tesla's infrastructure for their vehicles, like the Lightning and some of the new Ford Mustangs, or they call Mach-E, I think is the name of that car. I'd never imagined, and I worked for SolarCity Tesla, like how big it was going to be back in 2010 or 11. It's just amazing to see how big EVs are, not just on the West Coast. Now I'm seeing it all over the US and internationally. So
0: Yeah, without a doubt. I think at the same time, one trend that we're seeing is a lot of these electric vehicle level three charging stations, which... In my mind, those are the components that we need to focus and incentivize on. I don't really see a lot of value. There's a lot of programs incentivizing these level two. I get it. It's the low hanging fruit. We want to put numbers, we want to get press releases out. But frankly, those level twos do have a place. I think they're great for maybe a solar canopy or something where, like, it's an office place where people don't mind having their car charge over long lengths of time. But the same component, that's not really the complexity in my mind. So, what we need to focus, because those don't require traditionally a substantial adjustments on the electrical grid because they don't use that much power. At the same time, these level threes, looking at these components, especially on the heavy and medium duty vehicles, that's going to be huge. I'm literally imagining the 495 here in New York, Long Island Expressway. I'm imagining right literally off the side. I literally drive there. and I see, I'm like, there's going to be EV charging right here. I know there's going to be, and you could see that from our industry, literally you could be on an abstract. I could look somewhere. I'm like, this old steel mill is going to be something. There's an interconnect here. <laughs> we know that the market is going to be, it's just a matter of who's going to do it, you know? And obviously there's only so much time for everyone. And uh, so, just dramatic opportunities exist to literally make a lot of money and build an amazing, you know, electrical grid of the future, you know, so that we're not literally working on different technology industries, not working from an electrical grid that was built, you know, hundred years ago, starting to step it up, you know?
1: Yeah, that's a great point about level three, level two charging, and then also the opportunity. I think we're going to start seeing, and we've heard about this for a while, states really putting incentives to really develop some of these projects. So that's interesting. David and I develop community solar projects. It's exciting to see some like new states, not new states, but states that are like, extending their community solar program. Dave, do you want to talk about that briefly? Well, let's kind of get into that
0: a little bit regarding the community solar market and just kind of share like a few highlights, you know, levels of where things are, you know, community solar. So community solar, Minnesota, Colorado, I think where those are some of the first, you know, markets, you know, to really, you know, pop up. Um, And frankly, I would say Minnesota more than Colorado. I think Colorado always had some more of a smaller solicitation, you know, going into that market. But Minnesota, I think really paved the way and got the finance community, you know, familiar with actually issuing debt and investors comfortable with consumer credit. That's a huge question. People were looking at you like you're crazy. You remember this? Like literally finances
1: did not understand. And for us, we're like, this is there's versed by a pool of subscribers. Like, are you kidding me? David, you're talking here. specifically that financiers were looking for a 20-year residential offtake, which is crazy. Yeah.
0: yeah. And especially the fact that you can kind of transfer these credits the way that these community store programs work, it just was not necessary. So I think kind of looking at the history Minnesota, you know, really set that stage. A lot of sharp developers were going there, co-locating these solar projects to kind of build some scale. Unfortunately, that co-location through some regs has adjusted. the market is still you know, moving. They have the nice value of solar program pushing forward there. As we move forward, Illinois had a huge push going into that market. Already I know a lot of folks have made a lot of money in Illinois. A lot of folks have lost a lot of money but at the same mm-hmm. time, just the way that that program was set up with these auction results and a very competitive solicitation, Markets in Illinois, everything that we're seeing, ComEd is the place to be. So sites, land, ComEd, those are the markets that are thriving. You look at Ameren, those areas, and you really have to be strategic because the returns in Ameren, you have one issue on your project, pricing does not go your way, that project's going to die. But yeah, anything that you wanna mention on those
1: markets before I jump into a few others? I mean, I think that's the major things. I mean, what we're seeing recently is basically Maryland, Minnesota are basically revamping their community solar legislation. Rhode Island recently made some modifications to their community solar net metering program, which could incentivize more development of community solar. And also New Jersey, which I'm based in Jersey City, New Jersey have to have a straw proposal for the state's permanent community solar to follow its pilot program that Dave and I are very familiar with the pilot program in New Jersey. And then also, I'm excited about California. I know Dave knows this already. We have an office as well in San Diego. California regulators are developing a new community solar that hopefully will have like a lot more guidance in the first quarter of 2024. And supposedly they're using a lot of the rules that New York did or New York State did, which at the time, like VEDER actually seemed very complicated to me. But now, I can't believe, after hours and hours of spending time on it how well i know it i think one thing too that we're seeing with the inflation reduction act and also state level incentives is that they're incentivizing basically low moderate income customers have the offtake also using union labor or even minority owned or women owned businesses or as well as like sort of job training programs. So it's interesting to see all these sort of iterations of the community solar program.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that 100%. I think like a lot of these programs, the way that they're designed is You have those components where there's a big push and maybe some additional incentives or maybe the programs require a certain amount of subscribers to be low to moderate income. The other component that you're starting, you see a lot, and this took place in markets like Vermont for some time now, is Citing these projects. There has been a lot of pushback in the last couple of years, making sure projects are cited on property that's previously disturbed, these gravel pits, parking lots, focusing more on the rooftop and areas that are causing less disturbance to the areas, which now we're actually starting to see a trend back to the farm with these agrivoltaics. Interesting the how things move. Just think about that as you talk about Rhode Island, New Jersey, and some of these other areas. David
1: actually developed the largest rooftop solar project in New York City, which is pretty creative to be able to do that. So congrats on that.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Now, the rooftop projects are definitely very challenging to get done in one instance. So you have a rooftop and a landfill and a greenfield development. Greenfield is going to take you a very long time to get the permits. Year and a half, two years versus rooftop could take you two, three months. Why wouldn't I focus on rooftops? The other aspect is a rooftop is gonna be very complex to negotiate a lease agreement. With these solar projects, we need to have that roof needs to be twenty-five year lease agreements. You know, now let's say it's a twenty-year lease agreement. Now we have to go through different clauses of the agreement. If there's a roof leakage not caused by us, talents have to get taken down. Whose responsibility is that? And a lot of these components the property owner has to take responsibility responsibility for this. And obviously for him to take responsibility, he needs to be incentivized. You know, he needs money to make sure that this is worth, you know, his time. So very tricky, these lease agreements for a rooftop, these could take years to negotiate, Where it can be very contentious going through the components, especially dealing in areas like New York City, where communities are changing. We've all seen what's going on. There's new developments, property values in 10, 15, 20 years, one community. 20 years ago, Williamsburg was a different community than this today, right? So like we need to think about that as we approach these properties and design policies.
1: For sure. And I think another interesting aspect of developing rooftop solar commercial industrial in New York City specifically is that the landlords thinking about the rents that they make with their tenants who are basically staying in their apartments, they have very high expectations. They assume that the roof should be at that same Getting
0: what's inside. Yeah, exactly. They're thinking that they're getting $30 a square foot inside the roof, inside the building for some sort of industrial tenant or whatever it is. You know, when we come in and our solar rooftop lease on an unused roof with nothing on it. A dollar, you know, square foot, 50 cents square foot. Maybe we're throwing a new roof. Who knows? Maybe we're getting the tax abatements but at the same time. They're not kind of grasping it. And they compare us to the cell phone guys. I wish we had the money, the cell phone carriers to kind of produce on that,
1: but it's a different business model, right? Different benefits kind of go into the cycle that they receive too. Yeah. So Dave's talking about major wireless companies putting cell phone networks on the building. You could put solar and cell phone network on on the top of the building, but the economics are totally different. And they have to understand a solar project is not as lucrative as ten- having tenants in your unit or a condo or telecommunications. I was thinking about this going back to like the Inflation Reduction Act. Like, one of the other things that I like about this is they're incentivizing onshore manufacturing, which I think is a huge thing going forward because whoever's manufacturing it, it was funny. Like I'm a free trader person and I was thinking, Hey, you know, it's all about free trade. We should have like, Get it from anywhere and the cheapest. But COVID happened. We had like an issue with getting supplies of anything because a lot of it was manufactured in China. So you have to basically diversify that risk. I think also a lot of panel manufacturing has become very robotic or automated. So I think it's a huge competitive advantage as well with the inflation, a reduction act with having onshore manufacturing of panels.
0: It's crazy you're saying that. Like as we're speaking, we talked to a lot of local government, lots of the economic development authorities, you know, dealing through many different states. All of them are telling us about all the manufacturers they're speaking to, citing, you know, everyone is trying to push forward. We're seeing these maps of these battery manufacturers, solar panel manufacturers, lots of activities going on. It's amazing to see. You know, I love it. And also it's super interesting. You're pointing out 40 years ago, et cetera, you know, huge push. And there's been a push for a very long time towards this globalization, kind of that global market. And obviously, as COVID has occurred, people are starting to understand some of the sensitivities, especially with these foreign relations that are going through through trade. And the fact that we need these components, I think, was obviously everything we saw with the chips and the shortage was a wake-up call. People were looking at that on our energy. We know how important our energy is. We saw everything that happened in Europe with gas prices flying, ultimately articulating into PPA pricing. So really fascinating. You know, it's going kind to of see it just how it's operating. And I think it's a different level. This is not the manufacturing back in you know, 1908. It's just a different type of environment. Like you pointed out, the manufacturing in the US, the future is going to have this automation and it's going to have different types of skills, sets of individuals kind of operating these plants and streamlining it and allowing us to produce, quote, they're reducing that trans- transportation call, which ultimately will help on the
1: environmental front, right? With less transportation and more liability. Oh, for sure. And then the other thing too is we're also seeing a lot of manufacturing happening in Canada and Mexico, our border countries, which is huge for them. That creates economic opportunities. They're more aligned with us as well. A lot of new factories and manufacturers are near the borders of the United States. And I think that's another huge opportunity, like having strong allies. And it's interesting how the US is actually importing a lot of natural gas to Europe during the Ukraine war because of all the energy needs and Russia cutting off the pipeline and all these other things, because I believe still like natural gas is a transition sort of fuel to get to electrification. And we have an abundance of natural gas here in the US.
0: You know, I think too many people who just have that look and you know, we've all seen these documentaries, awesome. nobody wants their faucet to go on fire. <laughs> you know, like that's not what anyone knows. But at the same time, you know, nobody wants, Solar panels on your roof to fall through your roof and hit you while you're sleeping, right? So I think it kind of goes down to the practice. I remember somebody telling me most of the time things can be engineered perfectly and it's about how they're being implemented and going through that process and some of these problems that are occurring and going through that innovation. I do firmly think that we can achieve this 100% renewable electricity kind of going through that facet and that there's such a huge opportunity, you know, even if you look at globally, where all the electricity is coming from, approximately, I think it was like 35%, all the electricity usage in the world, the U.S. and China. So looking at that, obviously, relationships between U.S. and China are not what they were back when China was opening up during Nixon administration, right? Kind of looking at now, now that there's problems, let's see how we can turn these problems into opportunities to see what type of areas that there could be working towards some sort of common goal to progress. And I think that's crucial. And I think a lot of people need to take some of the politics out of this as well, too, because it just sounds crazy Most of somebody trying to promote coal. What do you think when you hear coal? You think of literally like a coal miner like 150 years ago. You don't think of 2023.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and coal is expensive. People don't realize solar is the cheapest form of electricity in the U.S. Natural gas is so much cheaper than coal. There should not be any conversations of opening new coal plants at this point in the U.S., there's so much innovation, so much new technology that we don't know about that will help with getting to 100% renewable energy. They talk about like nuclear fission and fusion. Obviously, after Fukushima, countries have been hesitant to build new nuclear plants. But I think we've got more advanced on recycling, even recycling the panels, right? People are like, oh, what's going to happen in 25, 30 years? The panels are being built better, more recyclable. But I think it's just getting more advanced as well as being able to recycle too. So
0: Not a doubt. I think that's super. And I know like from my personal view, just kind of seeing the way that a lot of policies are put to play, because naturally in the renewable energy sector and kind of what we're focused on is project development, us together mostly, you know, we're very naturally we're driven, you know, in a regulatory environment. This is a very heavily regulatory industry, which we get. Electricity is a utility. That's something that this country, people should have, deserve to get electricity, right? And a reliable electricity. So thinking on that front too, I know that obviously there's a lot of objectives and goals that are put in place. I know we've personally experienced instances where policies have been put in place way before they should have been. And not that we don't like the policies because we do, it's just the fact that it can cause harm to the environment to the private marketplace when things are not fully flushed out even thinking kind of globally you look at what happened in sri lanka several months back or maybe a year ago now looking at the fact of the fertilization and kind of changing that fertilizer to be more environmentally friendly etc which is great we love that but then on the fact of understanding of banning things you know right so i think we need to kind of get more into the habit of creating a proper incentive and a deterrent, there's penalties for these instead of just saying, no, you can't do this. Because again, that's not the way that our market should work. People should have that choice open to go through there. And that policy caused a huge problem, literally shut down the entire country, like you know, create economic changes. And now we're dealing even locally on many other states. We're still gonna talk about New York state. Now there's different components. All these stoves have to be electric. All these heating has to be electric, all these different components. And there is different exceptions here and there, but I think it's crucial that uh, we take a step back, we look, what's physically possible, all those wires in Manhattan, underneath the ground that were buried there X amount of years ago. Can those wires handle heating a huge building? drive for Manhattan, can they handle electrifying all those vehicles? So I think we need to take a step back to make sure that these things are possible so we don't have the private market dishing out all this cash to make investments into electrifying all these items.
1: And they get hit with, sorry, can't get done, not physically possible. That's not good for anyone, right? No, definitely not. Those are all great points. I think this has been an amazing like first episode of the league. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about, David, today? or Yeah, I think that was really great. I
0: think this is an amazing first episode, I think what everyone should be aware of is as we're kicking off, we're going to hope that you join us weekly and that you should be joining us weekly. If you want to know what is going on in the market, we're going to tell you some of the trends, some of the components, even as NISO issued a report here locally in New York state regarding a lack of supply that is forecasted for the next coming years, probably 500 megawatts. Right now, they're working different policies of how they can avoid that, maybe incentivizing more storage in certain areas. So lots of trends like that. We'll be talking about new items like the Ohio Community solar program that's over for gigawatt that just got launched under HP 197, Maryland opening up, the PJM experiencing a level one to the high outage. These are the things that we'll be talking out Benoit and myself and work sites to get this out there and keep everything flowing.
1: Yeah, definitely. And the other thing, too, we're working on, which we've done in the past is create a course on project development for solar. That's the initial phase of it. So David and I are working on that right now. We think it'll be really helpful for the solar community. We'll have links to our companies and how to contact us we're creating eventually a YouTube page called The League, which will upload this first episode. We'll also have all these episodes on the Solar Maverick podcast as well, as well as the Renew Energy and YHD Solar YouTube channels. Um, the other thing I was going to say, also, too, we're going to have as well the links to David's prior episodes on the Solar Maverick podcast. It's interesting because people still listen to episode one of the Solar Maverick podcast that came out in November 2018. and to the work, (laughs) (laughs) All for free, by the way, and all great content, which a lot of people are obviously charging a lot of money for access to that. And it's interesting because 10 to 15 to 20 years now, David, people will be still listening to this content that we created. And we'll probably have robots and AI listening to it and taking notes.
0: I'm excited. I think this is great. Honestly, you know, what goes through my mind every single day is thinking about how everything that we're doing today, next couple of years is going to impact the electrical grid in a hundred years from now. That's what I think about a lot is next hundred years, where our energy is going to come from and how we're going to be able to power the future and what we can do to contribute for that. So yeah, Benoit, thank you so much. Really excited to keep this going. Great co-host and before pushing forward.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I'm sure Ezra will be listening to this in five to ten years. So I know you can't imagine Dave just had a newborn. And I'm sure you can't imagine that your son will be listening to this and thinking about the impact that you're having to our society in a beneficial way. So I appreciate too, David, everything that you've done for us in the industry because I don't think it gets talked about.
0: Thank you so much. And I think like you just pointed out, you know, it's the future. You're thinking of my son and just even like the whole community and just, we're headed. Yeah, right. So much to do and so much just not even in the renewable energy sector, but just so many different industries, social services, everything that what we're doing is going to benefit. So really enjoy this. Again, this is the league. So anyone interested in understanding what's going on in the marketplace, who the players are, what deals are getting done, stay tuned, come here and join the league. Awesome Awesome way to end it. Thank you, David. Take care,
1: everyone. Thanks for listening to the Solar Maverick podcast. The Solar Maverick podcast is brought to you by Renew Energy. We're a solar development and consulting firm. If you believe that this podcast is adding value to you, please give us a five-star review and share with those that you think could benefit from this information. Please email all questions, suggestions, and feedback to info at renewenergy.com. That's I-N-F-O at R-E-N-E-U energy.com. The Solar Maverick podcast is produced by Podcast Laundry and executive produced by Benoit Thanjan and Kevin Y. Brown.